and I've done it at different times of the year, but this year I decided to do it at the beginning of the year for this reason. It gave me a week off from studying Exodus, but it also gave me time to reflect on 2021. Um, And so what's crazy is that in 2021, some of you know and some of you don't, there's been tons of things that have taken place. And when I really started to recount them, I couldn't believe how much God accomplished in one year. And so that being said, I do something called the State of the Church Address. And all of this is just to reflect and and praise God for what He has done. But it's also an opportunity for those of you that are new to kind of get to know what makes us unique in the local body of Christ. And so I'm going to share the story of what God's done And then we'll talk about some precepts or some building blocks, uh, some foundational elements of our church. And so, we did some practical improvements this year. Uh, We put a new parking lot in at our other location in Pilot Knob. We bought 60 new chairs in February because we were running out of space. Uh, We built a new, we had a new roof put on our old building. Got some pictures there for you of the new roof. Uh, we fixed the basement water leak. Interestingly enough, we fixed the water leak about the time that we were getting ready to leave. Uh, but we made it better for the people that are now renting it from us. Uh, we also completed, and I say we because whether you realize it or not, if you prayed for me, uh, you were praying for me while I was pastoring here. And then also uh, general contracting the new sanctuary that we built at Parkland Chapel this year. So uh, we signed up for metal and the building to be manufactured in January, and then in May we started putting up the building, and by the end of September it was complete, and I no longer worked there. So they used me up and they spit me out. No, uh, I'm thankful, very thankful for Parkland Chapel. So all the stuff I'm going to share today really started about 15 years ago. Uh, 15 years ago, straight out of college, not straight out of Compton, straight out of college. Um, I started, um, God used college to break me down and show me that I didn't have what it takes. And some of you have stories that are in the world's eyes way worse off than mine, but uh, my story starts with self-confidence and pride. And the Lord used college and my lack of understanding of life as it is to break me down and bring me to Jesus. And I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful for all the years that I struggled and tried to do it on my own, where the Lord finally brought me to the end of myself. But this story is not about me today, because 15 years ago, God got a hold of my life through a simple church, a church that didn't look like a church, a group of people, a group of men that weren't drugged to church by their wives or going because somebody else wanted them to be. They were there because they knew the power of Jesus. And they understood the power of the Holy Spirit to transform a life. And so this morning, as we look at this, all these pictures, all the things that God has done is really what we're looking at. So this year, in particular, will be nine years old in March, this church will. And um, a few of the activities and events that took place, we had an Arbor Season concert in March for the youth at the Dalkey's house. Uh, We had a ladies' Bible study where they studied the life of Rahab in March. Uh, We did a drive-through baccalaureate inspired by COVID in 2020. We've been doing it that way in the last two years. Who knows what's going to happen this year? Um, 
We did kids camp and youth camp with the bridge uh, down at Camp Eagle Sky in July. Um, we participated in See You at the Pole at the AV School. Um, we hosted a women's conference in October, October 8th and 9th. And we're hoping to do that again this year and be able to invite more people. We also had our yearly fall get-together in October. Um, it was our biggest one yet, and I think a lot of it was due to the fact that the weather was so good. Um, we brought in uh, Daniel Messiah, who's the, the leader of Open the Gates Ministries, and he shared with us what's going on uh, as Jesus be, is being shared in the Muslim world in the 1040 window. Um, we also, um, as a part of Operation Christmas Child, which many churches do, um, God provided 73 boxes through you guys. So that's a pretty big number for us as a church, as history goes. Um, spiritually speaking, uh, we were honored to get to baptize seven new souls into the kingdom this year. Um, we had one baby dedication in January. Uh, we also, by God's grace, were able to study Genesis chapter 21 all the way through Exodus 27. Uh, we also had a weekly intercessory prayer, and this is my annual plug. We have prayer every Sunday morning at 8 a.m. over both of the services we do. So if you ever feel called to pray, that's when you can come do it. Whether you come to first or second service, it doesn't matter. And we pray in that prayer room as you come in the doors. Uh, we also this year did something a little new. We had four prayer nights at uh, the Campbell's house. So uh, lots of stuff going on there. And then uh, we had some ministry growth. It started in August. We ran out of space in our little building in Pilot Knob. And so um, as we were praying about building onto the building and adding chairs, we did that. And then we were adding parking lots. Uh, we decided that uh, really the best way to handle it is to offer a second service. And so um, we offered a second service. And of course, first service is usually not as heavily attended. Uh, but we have the first service. The primary reason is not actually space. I want you guys to know that we do a 9 a.m. service primarily because I want to make sure that those that are serving our children's church right now, the reason we can all pay attention because the kids are in children's church learning at their own level, um, I want the servants to be able to come to service because for the first seven or eight years, we only had one service, and if you served our children, that meant you didn't get to go to church that week. And so um, it was important to me that we offer another service. Even if five or ten people come, I'm good with it. I don't mind saying the same thing twice if it means more people have the opportunity uh, to, to learn. And so uh, this year, when we went to two services, there was other people that started volunteering because one of the reasons they weren't serving in children's church is they wanted to be able to get fed. And so uh, kind of which came first, the chicken or the egg? Uh, in this case, I don't know. But all I know is we started having two services. And this year we had more children. God blessed us with more children to teach. And he also blessed us with more children's church and nursery volunteers than ever. So we added a class this year. We divided into three classrooms instead of two. Uh, we were averaging about 20 kids, and sometimes there's as many as 30 kids. So you can pray for our children's church teachers. That's a lot. And, um, and since they're your children, you know how to pray for them, right? All right. Me too. So um, we started a meal ministry this year. 
Um, so if somebody comes home, they just had a baby or had surgery, we're able to kind of hear those needs. And then hopefully uh, my wife or somebody sends out an email. And uh, many of you have volunteered to provide meals for families. So thank you so much for that. Um, that's a way to be hands and feet that we wouldn't call ministry per se. But if you know what it's like to come home with any of those circumstances, uh, a meal, even if you have leftovers for three days, is a huge blessing. And so um, we also, our cleaning team has grown. Uh, we were in about a 2,400 square foot building, and now we have about 12,000. And so uh, we're doing things a little bit differently, but God answered our prayer. We now have 13 volunteers to clean the church instead of four. So that's huge. Um, and then uh, something that probably should have been on the last slide, we sent uh, Bibles to Kenya through a, a ministry called Project Bible Runners. And they supply Bibles all over the world, and they have runners in each country, so usually they ship. And we added to a shipping container that went up to like 12,000 Bibles that they sent overseas just about uh, a couple months ago. Um, we also started partnering with a local ministry that's based in Farmington called Young Faith in Christ. Uh, Jay Scruggs, who is the director who attends Parkland Chapel and serves there, um, he kind of led that up. He came and spoke to us, and we had three people from our church that are now qualified and signed up to mentor at uh, Arcadia Valley Schools. So if you're interested in that, let me know, and I can get your name to that uh, ministry. Another huge answer to prayer this year was uh, Brandon Robbs and his family. So uh, if you don't know, until about uh, June of last year, I had been playing the guitar, or trying, and singing. And so uh, I would get done playing the guitar and singing, and then I would teach. And then uh, I would get up, and I would play another song, and we'd worship. And then the service would be over, which, if you've ever tried to do that, it's exhausting. And so uh, I was just begging the Lord to add to the worship team and, and also add somebody to the worship team that feels called to lead. And he answered, and he supplied uh, Brandon— and his wife, Michelle, and their th three beautiful daughters. And because of that, you don't have to listen to me sing anymore. So praise God, right? Um, but this is a huge ad because there's a lot of things. You know, it's not just getting up on Sunday and leading songs. It's the organization. It's picking keys. It's showing up another night for practice. And so uh, Brandon's been a huge answer to prayer. And I'm very blessed to have them at our church. Um, it's funny. I told my pastor that uh, the Lord sent us a worship leader. And he said, oh, yeah, where is he from? And I said, well, he lives about two minutes from Parkland Chapel. And he was like, stinking mingy, stealing our people from Farmington. So, um, youth. So, um, a few years back, one of my things that I shared at the State of the Church is I, I was really hoping that God would raise up a group uh, that would feel called to lead our youth. And he's answered, and he's answered above and beyond what we could ask or think. Uh, so it's not just one person or one couple, but it's several couples and individuals that feel called not only to teach our youth, but also organize events, uh, make places for them to meet, open up their homes, uh, go and stay up way too late and get up way too early at youth camp, and uh, very blessed by each one of them. But what makes it possible is for us to not only uh, teach our adults and then teach our children, but also uh, give them a way that they can learn on their level with their group of friends and something to invite uh, their friends to. 
And so uh, they meet Sunday nights uh, primarily, but they also put on events. Um, in this last year, we got to pray for Erica Standifer. Uh, August 15th, we prayed for her as she went off to college. Um, and then we've had regular youth gatherings. We've had special nights. We've had uh, concerts. They did a couple of service pro- projects this year. They went to the corn maze, and then they had a Christmas party and played some pretty ridiculous games. Um, but also, um, they're planning a trip in March of this year to go to the Ark Encounter, which I think is in Kentucky. And so that's a pretty big thing. And so if you're interested in going, I think that uh, there's, they're going to be limited on numbers of how many people they can take because of the accommodations. So um, if you're interested, please talk to uh, Drew. He's in the back over there. Or Michael or Micah or Tammy or Rachel. Like I said, there's a bunch of youth leaders. So very thankful for them investing in the next uh, generation of believers in this valley. That said, um, they also, when we moved into this building, inherited a room that was already decorated. And many of our youth, unbeknownst to me, had grown up in that room. It was their children's church room. And so the decorations to them, to me it looked really awesome. And to them it looked like going back to play school. And so uh, the leaders and their wisdom decided, you know what, let's paint the room. Let's do a little bit of decorating. And they modernized it a little bit and made it a little bit more functional. And so... Uh, very thankful for their efforts, and now that, that place is ready to use. So, a new building. Uh, that's something that has happened this year, right? That's kind of been probably one of the biggest things, that, biggest changes that's happened this year. Um, now, what's crazy is, it, at first glance, you might think, okay, we just bought a building. But there was a year, at least, of prayer that went into buying this building. We did not take it lightly to spend God's money. Um, We also didn't take it lightly to take on another mortgage when we already had a building and hadn't sold our other building. But like most things, you can't buy a building unless you have a place to meet before that. And so how does that all work out? And I'm just going to share a fraction of the story, but it started with prayer. Everything that's worthwhile will start with prayer. Everything that God wants to do, he strikes our heart while we're spending time with him. And so as we were praying, and I'd walk around this building and say, Lord, it would be really cool if. And it's, God's, God's big enough to handle our what ifs. And I think sometimes we limit God because we've gotten older, and we, don't, we know that's not how things work. And you know, while God doesn't have to answer yes to everything we say, and he doesn't, sometimes he says no because he loves us. But in this case, we wanted to know for sure that this was the Lord's will. And so I want to point out to you that at the time we were praying about buying a building, I was in the process of building a building. And so what's crazy is, is that when we bought our first building, we didn't have much of a budget. And we didn't have much faith, or at least I didn't. And so uh, God gave us a building that we bought in Pilot Knob for $20,000. Now, if you can buy a building for less than you can buy a, a car, you should probably buy it, right? And it was a church, and it was, it, it was already ready to use. We just had to build out the basement. And so God is always stretching our faith. Each next venture is about, it's about the thing, but it's more about the character he's building in us. And so as we use that building, and God was faithful to supply what we needed for it, um, we ran out of space. We started adding parking. We added chairs. And before you know it, it was really too cramped for what we were trying to do. 
and it limited what we could do at the building. And so as we prayed about this location, uh, we prayed about cost. We, we prayed about budget. You know, we prayed about, you know, is this even something we want to do? But what I want to tell you is that when we built the sanctuary at Parkland Chapel, it's a 4,500-square-foot building with 20-foot ceilings, with concrete floors, metal walls, and a wooden stage. And it cost us $300,000 to build it. Now, if you know the cost per square foot to build a building, we actually, it was a pretty budget thing. It, it went really well. So as we were looking at options for our other building, I was going to build off the end, but then you got to figure out where to park. And I, I did all the math, and what I realized is that we couldn't build what we needed for that amount. And as I was praying about it, and as the elders now were praying about it, what we realized is that we could buy this building, just the church portion. Not We don't own Elevate Fitness. We don't own the storefront. We bought it for $250,000. So I don't talk about money a lot because I don't want to get the focus off of what really matters. But Parkland Chapel built a sanctuary with no plumbing, with electric, with a stage, with a sound booth, and a couple of heating units for $300,000. And we bought a facility that was built way better than we would have ever built it for 50000 less than that. So it's a pretty powerful thing that God did. And we could be very easily to look over it and go, oh yeah, we bought a building. But it, it's much more than that. And so uh, in September, we finished building the sanctuary in Farmington. October 1st, I went full-time in AV. So at the same year that I was fully supported by this church for the first time, uh, God's just showing off. And he's taking care of the bills. And he's perched at the same time we purchased October 29th in the same month, we purchased this building. And then at the same time, God provided a buyer. I didn't tell anybody. And so they wanted to buy our old building, but they couldn't afford it. So what we're doing is we're renting it to them until they decide to buy it. And so uh, we never once had to pay mortgages at both places. So praise the Lord for that. And then... November 14th, which was just two weeks later, we had our first service. So that's all pretty intense. There's a lot going on. But since we've been in the building, which has only been, what, almost three months since we've owned it, we have been given the opportunity to host Christmas with the Chosen. We had about 150 people there that night. Couldn't have done it at the other building, nor would you want to. We had a smaller screen. We uh, were able to host a dinner for a local family that was mourning a tragic loss. Uh, we borrowed tables. Thank you for the tables, uh, Pilot Knob Fire Department. And then we were also able to have a free sale right before Christmas of clothes and children's toys. And, and it was a sale. It was a free sale. So we ended up getting to serve our community. And all we had to do was set it up in the foyer. We didn't have to move all the chairs. Uh, We didn't have to do any of that. And then God provided clothing for people in our area. And then we had our Christmas Eve service. And uh, for the first time on a Christmas Eve service, I didn't feel like people wouldn't come because they didn't think we had space. So um, thank you, Lord, for that. So let's talk about the pillars that make us A.V. Chapel. And what I want to share with you is from 2 Timothy as we get started. 2 Timothy chapter 2. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, Paul writes this to his disciple, his young disciple, his son in the faith. He says, You therefore, Timothy, my son, 
Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Live a life full of grace. He says, In the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these things to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So in a nutshell, that is the mission of the church. To take the things that we've heard from Jesus, to faithfully teach others what we've learned from him, and the desire that they would take what they've learned from us, from Jesus, and hand that off to other faithful men and women who will share with others. That's church in a nutshell. If you want to know the purpose of the church, it's to take the faith that's been imparted to us and transfer it to someone else. And if you spend your whole life and you only invest in one person, that's enough. Because then your faith doesn't die with you. It goes on to the next generation. Now the hope is that we would reach more than one person. But if you impact one person for eternity, it's worth it. And so that's the simplicity of the church. And I think that as people, people are typically religious. Uh, We want to make things more complicated than they need to be. So hopefully this morning, as I communicate what I believe is one of the best ways to do church, it comes off as actually simple and not complicated, although I have a tendency to complicate things too. So here's the pillars of the church from Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, in verse 42, after the birth of the church, Jesus has died, he's been buried, he's risen from the dead, he's commissioned his apostles, and many believed on the day of Pentecost, and God was adding to the church daily those who were being saved. And as they continued, verse 42 says they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, in fellowship, in the breaking of bread, and in prayer. And so the the pillars of the church can be explained in that. Teaching the word of God, both corporately like we are right now, and then individually discipling one another. And then continuing to fellowship You want to know what fellowship is? That's a churchy word, right? It's two fellows in a ship going in the same direction. That's discipleship. Hey, I'm going on a journey in this kayak. Come with me. Now, there's going to be bumps, right? There's going to be bruises. Uh, I don't know about you guys, but if I go kayaking with somebody, I don't care how good of friends we are. I don't care if it's my wife. There's going to be a little bit of rubbing elbows with each other. No, I said forward, on the right side, the left, you know. And, and riding in a kayak or a canoe with somebody is a trying process. But two fellows or two gals in a, the same ship going in the same direction uh, for the same purpose, heading towards Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. And so the simplicity is that we teach the Word of God corporately, We study the Word of God completely, and we do it in a way that some people think is silly and some people are very staunch on. But what we do is cover to cover systematically. So if I do Exodus chapter 27 last week, you know that in two weeks, next week, I'm going to do chapter 28. And then after that, chapter 29. And when we finish Exodus, we're going to go to Leviticus. You guys are pumped about that, aren't you? You know, you're, you're loving the fact that we're going to talk about the fatty lobes and the liver and what gets burnt and what gets eaten. And we're going to find out that it's all about Jesus from cover to cover. 
And I tell you what, I've had lots of feedback about the tabernacle. I had no idea that that meant that. Guess what? At the beginning of the week when I started studying it, neither did I. And I've been reading this thing for 15 years now. God's always asking us to, like, to keep seeking and, and getting closer to him. And as we do that, what we find is that the mystery of God, he reveals it by his Holy Spirit through his written word. And so we study it. It's alive and, and living and powerful and is sharper than any two-edged sword. And I tell you what, if you start January 1st and you read this thing in a year, you won't remember everything you read. You won't. But you will be nourished by it. It will change your heart. And by virtue of what your heart does, it will change your life. Fourteen years ago, I showed up to a church and they said, read the word. Keep showing up. How do I become a member? Show up. How do, I, how do I give to the Lord? Boxes in the back. How much do I need to give? However much the Lord tells you. We're not going to tell you that. It's that simple. And what we do is we're, we're studying the word, and as Jesus sets us free as individuals, he sets us free to worship. You might say, well, what is worship? It's how you live. It's who you praise. It's what you do. Everything is worship. And if you'll stop separating the secular from the sacred, what you'll see is that Jesus will take over. And people will see Jesus in you in your daily lives. And so we study the word of God. We don't, we don't teach about God's word. We teach what God's word already says. And in Ephesians chapter 4, in verse 11, it says that Jesus himself gave some to be apostles. He gave some to be uh, prophets. He gave some to be evangelists and some to be pastors and some to be teachers. But all of those gifts are for this purpose. This is the purpose of those offices or those callings. For the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up or the edifying of the body of Christ. And so the word of God through the teachers and the pastors and the, the evangelists and all of us, when we forth tell the word of God, it's meant to build up and strengthen the body of Christ. So if you wonder why we have a brick and mortar building and why we teach the word every week, it's to strengthen the saints. Who's the saints? Is it people in stained glass? No, it's us. Saints aren't dead. They're living. That's you and I. So all of us who follow Jesus Christ are the saints, and we need strengthening day by day. He's not called us to do it on, us, on our own. He's given us, give us today our daily bread. And so as he gives us daily bread, we're strengthened. And you and I, all of us, not just pastors, not just worship leaders, not just deacons or elders, we're all equipped for the work of the ministry. Does that mean I have to sell all my stuff and, and go to Zimbabwe? No. It means that you get up in the morning and you say, okay, Lord, what do you want me to do today? And many times, you know what he's going to say to you? Go to work. Go to work. Get up and love your family. Serve where I've got you. Grow where I've planted you. And as you serve where he sent you, all of a sudden it becomes much less of a dredge. I've got to go to work. It becomes, hey, I get to go serve Jesus. How? By building stuff with integrity. How? By loving people that are not lovable. How? By helping your kids take a bath at night. 
You know, all of it becomes worship. And then nothing is a drudgery anymore. And so we uh, encourage you to take the whole Bible because it takes the whole Bible to make a whole Christian. Uh, we encourage you to, dis- to make disciples. Jesus didn't say, go and make converts to Christianity. He said, I want you to go ye therefore as you are going and make disciples of all nations. That wasn't just for Bible teachers. That wasn't just for pastors. It's not just for parents. It's also for students. And so as you do that, God's going to use you in your everyday life to make disciples. And I would encourage each of you, do you have a Paul? Do you have somebody that's further along than you in the faith? Ask God to give you somebody that's further along than you to invest in you. And then at the same time, do you have a Timothy? Are you investing in somebody that's younger than you in the faith? They don't have to be that much younger. They could be slightly younger. And it doesn't have to do with age. It has to do with maturity in Christ. And so the other thing we encourage is that uh, we want God to get a hold of the men. Men are by God's design to lead their families in faith. And statistics, even from secular sources, will tell you that church attendance and church uh, Jesus following, if you want to call it that, it's much more likely to pass on to the next generation when men instigate. Uh, Now, no doubt, God uses women, and praise God for that. My mom was the one that took me to church. But statistically speaking, if men will get serious about their faith and lead their families, uh, the family most often ends up continuing in the faith even after they leave the house. And so, let's talk about money. Everybody loves talking about money in church, right? All right, get the plates. Let's pass them. No, we don't do that here. We don't pass the plate. Uh, Not because it's non-biblical to do so. We don't pass the plate because I don't want you to feel compelled to give because somebody else might see you. It's not about that. And so we don't ask anyone for a penny except for God. You will never see us having a fundraiser. You will never have us uh, see us doing a pledge drive. We won't have a thermometer on the wall in the back. We're not going to do it. Is it because that, that, that sin in the Bible? No. It's because we want you to be freed up to give. We don't want you to give because somebody told you you should. Um, and so every one of us gets to grow or shrink back in the way that God leads them. Uh, so anything that you give to this organization, uh, it, it, I don't even know what anybody gives. I don't even touch it. But what I do know is that we take at least 10% and we give it to other ministries to support them outside of these walls, things that have nothing to do with here. We're trying to lead by tithing as a church. Uh, so we support ministries like Young Faith in Christ, and uh, Parkland Parkland Pregnancy Resource Center in Park Hills. Uh, We support a church plant in Mormon country in Logan, Utah, called Riverwoods Fellowship. Uh, We support Bethlehem Christian Academy, which is in Zambia. They have orphanages, and they have schools that are set up there. Uh, We have Open the Gates Ministry that we support, Daniel Messiah, and uh, they're reaching the Muslim world with the gospel. They actually uh, broadcast... um, Bible teaching that's been translated into Arabic in the 1040 window where it's not safe to go. And then uh, as things arise, as needs come up, like benevolence, uh, we help people with gas when they call, um, as the Lord provides. And so um, 
But when tithing or giving comes up in Scripture, that's the only time we talk about it. I don't get up on a soapbox once a month and go, hey guys, God's broke, get to it. Instead, what we do is we just pray that God will provide, and then we trust that as he provides, um, he'll always provide for our needs. And as a, in, in the history of our church, he always has. The year that we started renting our first building, God all of a sudden brought a surplus of money. This year and last year in 2020 is when God provided for a down payment for this building. In 2020, in the year that everybody thought the sky was falling, God did above and beyond exceedingly what we could ask or think. And so um, as it comes up in Scripture, we teach on giving, which is biblical. And in John chapter 3, verse 16, what we find is that our God is a giving God. So the God that we worship is the God that we become like. And so each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly, not under compulsion, but God loves a cheerful giver, not a grudging giver. And so we want you guys to feel free to worship in that way. And if you wonder, I've had several people recently go, hey, I've been coming for weeks. Where's, how do you guys take offering? There's a box in the back. That's it. You can give online. You can go to avchapel.com, click the box, and it, it does it automatically. But it's up to you. Uh, church government. The way that our church is governed is that we, um, we're, we govern by what we call a Moses model. And so I, as the pastor, I submit to the Lord. I'm accountable to the Lord, and I'm also accountable to our board of elders. And so um, there's not a ton of board members. There's three of us. And as we pray through things, God either confirms or shut things down in prayer. But we all make the business decisions when it comes to what goes on with our church's finances and what goes on with, um, you know, practical stuff. So we have a board of directors. Uh, we have elders that serve in spiritual matters. If you need prayer, uh, it doesn't just have to be me. It could be Micah or Steve Persley. Um, and then at the same time, we have deacons that are meant to serve in practical matters. And you've been places before where the deacons basically run things. Uh, that's not the biblical model. In Acts chapter 7, we have Stephen, the first, uh, the first deacon. Uh, deacon literally means servant. And so they serve in practical matters pertaining to the church and the building and, and meeting needs. Um, also, uh, we do this so that there's not church politics or committees. And if you've ever been to a church where they have business meetings, um, that will suck the Jesus right out of your life. And, and I say that um, kind of tongue-in-cheek, but at the same time, if you've been apart, you know. It's, it's hard. It causes more division than it does unity. And so a lot of the, the decisions that get made, they get made by us as the board. And then, um, you know, following them through, we try to lead those that it pertains to. And so we don't ha have committees. We try to avoid church politics. And we have few board members, but many leaders. And so it allows for us to be able to make quick decisions that are confirmed through prayer. And we can move as the Spirit guides us. And so, for instance, when we wanted, uh, I got a message about uh, having Christmas with the Chosen. Uh, there wasn't three board meetings or committee meetings. I texted the elders that I pray with every week at 5.30 in the morning on Wednesdays. And uh, I texted them and I said, hey, we have the opportunity to show the Chosen. What do you guys think? 
And they texted me back, and we talked about it, and I said, how do we make this happen? And then it happened. It was within, what, two weeks? And so it, it, it helps us to be able to move swiftly. So as a church, I would encourage you, uh, things change from time to time. Uh, this is actually our fourth building that we've had since we became a church. And so if you get used to something, oftentimes it'll, be, it'll get changed. Uh, but uh, Chuck Smith, who began the, God used him to begin the Calvary Chapel movement, he said this, he said, Blessed are the flexible, for they shall not be broken. And while that's not necessarily in the Bible, I do believe it to be biblically true, um, that if we're flexible and we're willing to yield to the Spirit and change things as situations change, while at the same time holding close the things that never change, keeping the focus on Jesus, then we're more apt to be used by God. And so uh, you know this, but static churches are dead already or they are dying. And so to keep Jesus as the main focus, but be willing to change as things change. Uh, when it comes to form and function, there's a lot of things in the, that aren't actually in the Bible. You know, we don't have to have Sunday school and a service necessarily. We don't have to always do communion on the first uh, week of the month, although we do that. Uh, but that's not something that we're stuck on. Sometimes we do it differently. And so uh, the idea is that we would keep things fresh because guess what? God is still alive and he's still moving today. And so um, ministries pop up. Ministries sometimes get uh, chopped off. Uh, but the idea is that we would be faithful to what God gives us to do. So you won't see us uh, keeping ministries on life support that are really kind of dead and dying. Sometimes we'll just go, you know what? That season is over. Maybe God will raise it up again later. So we're always open to new ministries. So if you come here for a while and you're like, man, I, how come they don't do this? Ask. Maybe nobody's ever brought it up. And so um, it's interesting. If you look at the picture in the background, there's a building that was built to withstand earthquakes. And I just thought this was interesting as we've been studying through the tabernacle. You notice that it has a firm structure on the inside. And then it's got all these cables that tether it on the outside, which kind of reminded me of uh, this particular thing, the tabernacle. Isn't it interesting? God, God came up with earthquake-proof buildings, and that's why we need to be flexible. We need to be staunch on the things that matter, and we need to be flexible on the things that, you know, we can be flexible on. Building and property. Uh, it's my conviction that the practical things in this life lead to the spiritual convictions. And so as we have a building, uh, the building is not God. God is. And yet, if we have a clean and usable and accessible building, we believe that people, will, we want to make it possible for people that normally wouldn't feel comfortable to come to church, to come to different functions that we have. So that's the reason that we'll have things like Christmas with the Chosen or Christmas Eve service or uh, Blessed to be a Blessing sales or my desire is to have a blood drive this year. Just another way to get people practically into the building where they can walk in and go, whoa, I didn't know what it looked like in here. And then eventually, hopefully, feel comfortable enough to attend one of our services. Uh, we believe that the church should be the hub of people's lives not a spoke that revolves around everything else. And so my desire is that this would actually be a hub of our community, that Jesus would be the focus and that everything else would flow out from there. So with that said, we want our building to be available and easily accessible to our people outside of service. 
And what's interesting is many times lately people have asked me, hey, can we use your building for this? Well, if you attend here regularly, uh, you're a member. You know, if you want to know how our membership works, keep showing up. Um, So if you need to use the building for something, feel free to ask. And don't call it, hey, I use your building. Call it our building. Uh, Because this place has been given to us by God for his purposes. And if you've got something that God's laid on your heart, let's try to make it happen. Prayer is a foundational element of the Christian life. It's as important as breathing is for physical life. So we rely heavily on prayer for everything. Uh, There's a group called The War Room that meets here every Thursday from 10 to noon, and they pray for our community. There's people from all kinds of different churches that come. Um, Also, uh, prayer is as important as breathing is for our physical life. So uh, as a church, I would encourage you, you're a believer in Jesus and you believe in the power of prayer and somebody asks you to pray for them, do it right then. You know, ask them, hey, can I pray with you right now? And what you're doing by doing that is you're letting them know, like, God is here now with us. Let's bring him into this situation, this circumstance. But reason two is, if I do it with you, it's because I don't want to forget. I don't want to be the person that says, oh, I'll pray for you. Or my thoughts are with you. I, I want that to happen right then so I don't forget. Uh, prayer should become not what we do. It should become a way of life for us. It should become prevalent. You know, if somebody says something to you in the sanctuary or in the, the foyer before they leave church and they're like really hurting, you need to pray for them right then. You need to bring Jesus into the situation. They need the comfort of the Holy Spirit now, not later when you're by yourself. Uh, we get to be Jesus with some skin on him. And so um, encourage you to pray. Service. So many times when we talk about serving in church, people go, oh, I just left a church. And the moment I showed up there, they put me to work. And I didn't get to stop until I left. We don't want that to be the case here. So we encourage you and let you know that it's service to Jesus is not a have to. We're not required by it. You're, you're not saved by your works. It's a get to. So Service is a natural outpouring of what God has done in your life as you become a a, a mature believer. So we encourage all to serve in some capacity. Some are going to be visible. Some are going to be in the background. It all matters to God. God cares about our hearts. But we encourage you to serve, but not until you've been around for at least six months. And some people are rearing to go when they get here, and they're aggravated that we say, wait six months. But the idea is that you would get to know us and how we do things, and so that you would get to be fed and get to be a part of what we do, but also so that we can get to know you. Gives us a little history together before we start rubbing each other's elbows as we're doing whatever God's called us to. And so um, the goal is that if you serve, that you would only be needed about once a month so that we wouldn't become burned out or, or sweaty or stinky as Christians, but instead we'd be healthy in our service. Um, the pastor Greg Laurie from Calvary Chapel in uh, Harvest in California, he said this. He said, when your output exceeds your input, then your upkeep becomes your downfall. So if you're someone who has been serving and your output, what you're doing for Jesus, has exceeded your input, your ministry to Jesus, at the feet of Jesus, spending time with him, then guess what, what's going to happen is that um, your upkeep is going to become your downfall. You're going to start to hate serving. You won't have any joy. What you produce, the fruit from your life, will start to stink. 
It will cause striving and division rather than joy and blessing. And so I would encourage you, if you're someone who is already serving and your output is exceeding your input, take a break. And you might say, well, if I take a break, then this ministry won't happen. Well, um, then maybe God will raise somebody else to do it in the time that you're taking a break. Uh, God's got plenty of servants, and it's just like a cup of water. Put your finger in the water and then pull it out. What's left? A cup of water. God's going to make it up. He's going to fill it in. You're not holding God's kingdom together. He's actually the one that's in control. So I want you to be freed up. I don't want you to feel like you have to compulsorily serve. Uh, Service is situational. It's seasonal. And so feel free to take a break if you need one. But as believers, when you hear, if, if you're ever serving and somebody says to you, you didn't have to do that, hopefully you can say, you're right, I didn't have to do that. That's what makes it so wonderful. So, my last slide, and then we'll close. What do we see for the coming year? So we've looked in the past, we've looked at what we do, and, and the question always comes, you know, what, what's our plans for this year? And uh, I heard it said just recently, I think David Crowder shared a post on his Instagram. It said, uh, what is a New Year's resolution? <laughs> it's a list of things to do the first week of January. <laughs> so I want to add to that list. That's encouraging, right? I have a couple of thoughts, and I have a lot of things. Like we, we had our year-end board meeting, and we started talking through some things we could do to make the building more useful and some things that need fixed and some plans that we'd like to do, all that stuff. And we do that, right? We make plans, and the, the Lord directs our steps. That's the way it looks. We make plans, and then God says yes or no to some of those plans. Or sometimes he says wait. But rather than focusing on the to-dos, I want to focus on this. God's kingdom is not about you. God's kingdom is not about me. God's kingdom is not actually about Arcadia Valley Chapel. It's not about First Baptist. It's not about the Assembly of God Church. It's not about any of those things. God's kingdom is about Jesus Christ. That's the focus of God's kingdom. So turn with me to John chapter 3. John chapter 3, verse 30 is what I believe the Lord's given me as the verse for the year for our church. But before we get there, I want to read the context of it. If I find the right page. John chapter 3, in verse 22, said, After Jesus and his disciples came into the land of Judea, he remained with them as they baptized. Now John also was baptizing in the same region, near Salim, because there was much water there, and they came, and they were baptized. And John had not yet been thrown into prison, giving us a little idea that, you know, as Jesus' ministry is growing, uh, John the Baptist is getting ready to be thrown into jail. Then there arose a dispute between some of John's disciples and the Jews about purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, He who was with you beyond the Jordan, speaking of Jesus, to whom you testified, behold, he is baptizing, and everyone's going to him. Now, if you're John's disciples, and you've been following John, your hope is that his ministry would grow, right? Well, as Jesus' ministry is growing, 
John the Baptist ministry is shrinking. And you might say, well, if your ministry shrinks, then it must not be of God. You're not successful, right? But that's not how John the Baptist looked at it. He responded to them in verse 30, and he said this about himself. He said, in my life, Jesus must increase, and I must decrease. And so I have there for you on the slide, for Jesus' kingdom to come and his will to be done this year, it means that our kingdoms have to die. It means that he's going to start taking over our property, our influence, our livelihood, our priorities, and instead of our priorities, we'll have his. And so my prayer this year is that God's kingdom would come, that God's will would be done, just like it was this last year. If you'd asked me to plan out 2021, or for that matter, 2020, I would have had all kinds of plans. And if I would have focused too much on those plans, I would have gotten my will done, and God wouldn't have got his will done. And I'm thankful to say that despite me, God got way more done in one year than I ever would have dreamed. And so may we submit this year to him and see what he has planned. And so I'm going to encourage you, during this time, we're going to take communion. Communion's a time to reunite with our, our Father, to recognize that all that we have is his, to literally take in the body and the blood of Jesus, which gives us all of the life that we need to do what he has planned. Uh, the Apostle Paul wrote that it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ Jesus who lives in me. And because I have life in him, I have eternal life. And so, Father, we thank you for the opportunity to recount your faithfulness. We thank you for the body and the blood of Jesus that makes it all possible. Without your resurrection, without your life given to us, we are literally just dead men walking. And so, Father, thank you for saving us. Thank you for giving us new hearts. Thank you for cleansing us of all unrighteousness, positionally. Thank you also that your blood is powerful enough to deal with our sin practically. So, Lord Jesus, as we take communion, as we begin this new year, Lord, I pray that each one of us can truly say with a whole heart and a humble heart, Lord, we want your kingdom to come. We want your will to be, be done. And so, Father, in order for that to happen, we're going to have to lay down our lives so that we can truly gain them for your purposes. So, Father, we thank you for this opportunity. And we pray that as we worship, would you touch our hearts and speak to us the things that we need to hear from you. In Jesus' name, amen.